All right, guys, if you will take your Bible and open to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. For the, um, parents here this morning and any of you else who just might be here for the first time, uh, this semester we have been studying through Paul's letter to the Philippians. <clears throat> and that's kind of our MO on Sunday mornings, just so you know. It's, that's not only the MO for this hour, but also in the main service to come. Uh, we just we systematically work through books of the Bible as verse by verse as we can do it. Um, if, you're, if your child's ever here in the summer months, we're usually in the Old Testament in this room, and in the, in the fall and spring, we're in the New Testament. So that's why this semester we're in Philippians, and when we come back in the spring, we'll be in the book of James. We do it this way just because of what we believe about the Scriptures. We believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and therefore, everything in it, everything it says, it, there's, no, there's no superfluous word. It's all important. It's all, that's what, that's what Paul told Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out by God or inspired by God and profitable. It's profitable because of that, for teaching and reproof and all that. So we, we, we don't want to skip over anything it says if we can help it. So this morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, uh, and we're going to be thinking through what the Apostle Paul says at the very end of the chapter in verses 27 through 30. And really what we're going to see Paul say at the beginning of verse 27 is going to govern what he's going to talk about, not just in these verses today, but really through uh, most of, at least the first half of chapter 2. So it's important we understand clearly what he says. Just to set some context for what we're about to read, we need to remember some things that, that we've already seen in weeks uh, gone by. Going all the way back to the beginning of the letter, Paul starts writing um, in, in the verses just after the, the greetings. Um, he starts in verse 3, and what was the gist of what he was telling them there? If you, if you think back to those early verses, it was all about how uh, he was rejoicing in the fact that the gospel was advancing. The gospel was advancing as he says, even though he was in prison, he says in verse 5, it was advancing because of your partnership, Paul tells the Philippians, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And what did that partnership of, the partnership between the Philippians and Paul, what did that partnership look like? Look down at verse 7, uh, where he said uh, that you are all partakers with me of grace. And you might remember, if you were here, you might remember that I said our English translations aren't always the, the clearest on this point because they have, in this instance, they have translated the, the same basic Greek word as partnership in verse 5 and as partakers in verse 7. But they're the same root word. You might think that they're talking about two different things, but they're the same root word. So what I'm getting at is this. Whatever that partnership is in verse 5, is also what they are partakers of in verse 7. And so back to verse 7, he says, You are all partakers with me of grace. How? Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What are those words, defense and confirmation of the gospel? Basically, defense is, is, is responding to objections to the gospel. Confirmation is the flip side of that, giving positive arguments for the truth of the gospel. And so Paul was saying right there that, they, that their, their partnership, the Philippians' partnership in the, in, with him in the gospel from the first day until then 
had to do with not just their, their kindness and care for him while he was in, in, in prison, but in, also while he was in prison, their active engagement in, go, in gospel ministry, even while he wasn't there. And then looking at the, at the first chapter, that issued in verse 9 into the prayer that he prays for them, that their love for unbelievers would abound more and more, and that the gospel would continue to advance in Philippi through their, their witness for Christ. And then beginning in verse 12, Paul was talking about how the gospel was still advancing even though, even with him, even though he was in prison because he was able to bear witness to the imperial guards there in the prison, and they knew that he was in prison for Christ, and he rejoiced in verses 14 to 18 that Others had become more bold in their sharing of the gospel because of what had happened to him. All that to say, gospel advancement had, has been, has been the, the, the steady drip of this letter from the very beginning. It's not surprising that's the commission Jesus left his followers. Um, but it's also too important, we need to remember that, and we also need to remember this background that Philippi, and we're going to say more about this again in a minute, Philippi was a very difficult place to be a Christian. It was just a very difficult place to be a Christian. You, uh, and certainly to bear witness to Christ outwardly. Uh, we're not going to do it now, but you, if you read back in Acts chapter 16 about how that church began in Philippi, uh, you would, you'd read about amazing conversions of, of Lydia. She was the first convert to Christianity in Asia. Uh, Lydia's conversion uh, the conversion of the Philippian jailer, but as soon as I say that, a jailer? Why a jailer? Because it was a hard place. Paul, you'd also read about Paul getting thrown in jail, thrown in prison for his bearing witness to Christ. So it was a place where being faithful to Christ and bearing witness to Christ was difficult, and it brought real opposition. Paul is very aware of that, having been thrown in prison himself. And so in the verses we want to consider this morning, He's writing to encourage them. He hasn't changed his course. He's still talking about what he's been talking about. He's writing them to encourage them how to remain faithful to Christ and to his calling to keep advancing the gospel in a place like that. And So let's, let's read our passage and then take a closer look at it. So if you found Philippians 1, follow along as I read verses 27 through 30. Paul writes, Only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this word. And we confess our faith that it is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And as we study it this morning, and, and, and we have to move uh, as quickly as we can through it. Lord, would you give us eyes to see the truth that are in these words? Would you give us eyes to see it clearly? Would you give us minds to, to understand it and to comprehend it? Would you give us hearts then to embrace and love and see as eternally important the truth that we see and understand? And then would you give us wills 
to obey whatever it is that you command or admonish us to do in these words. Give me the help that I need to teach, and please give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in the Word. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you're taking notes, obviously this is not a, a, a long passage, and so as I thought how to, how to divide this thing up to, to really think through it, I think there's just two main divisions in it. And so if you're taking notes, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what our, our two points are going to be, and we'll jot them down, and then, and then we'll work our way through it. First, in the first part of verse 27, Paul admonishes them to walk worthily. Walk worthily. He's issuing an important command there at the beginning of verse 27 that we need to think carefully about what it, what it, what it says because it's going to govern on into the next chapter. Walk worthily, first part of verse 27. And then from the second half of verse 27 through the end of the passage in verse 30, Paul's going to emphasize that walking worthily will require that they walk together. Walk together. And, and, and in those verses, Paul's going Paul's to explain four Four things that that's going to mean. I'm not going to tell you what those four are now. We'll come to them quickly when we get there. But just two points, walk worthily and walk together. Let's dive in and take a closer look at the text beginning in verse 27 and his command to walk worthily. So look at the first part of verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, there are a few things that we need to, to, to note about what he says there in that, in that phrase. He begins that verse saying, only. And that's literally what the word he, he used means. But the context of this seems to have more force, more urgency than what only communicates. Uh, I think if you, some of you may have different translations, I think capture this better. The, the CSB says just one thing, like one more thing. I need to tell you this. Or, the, or I think the NIV says, whatever happens, whatever happens, know this, right? It's as if Paul is saying, I need you really to get this one thing. Before I go any further, let me say this. That's what he's saying. There's an urgency to it. And it's not a suggestion because the one thing he's about to, to, to tell them isn't just something he wants them to know. It's something them, that he's commanding them to do. He's commanding them to do this. It's an imperative. And what is it? It says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And when they, when they heard Paul say this, or read Paul say this, they would have heard something significant uh, in, in what he said. I want to zoom in on that phrase, let your manner of life be, okay? Let your manner of life be. Only let your manner of life be. We'll get to worthy in just a minute. Let your manner of life be. That's a whole phrase in English. Let your manner of life be. That's one word in Greek. That's just one word in, in, in Greek. And, and that one word, I don't know if it would have been shocking, it would have been noteworthy to them. They, it, would have, it, would have, it would have caught their attention, the word that he used. And I'm going to say the word that he used, and, and just think to yourself when I say it, if it sounds to you like a word in English that we would know. The word that he wrote there is polituo, polituo. And what, what, what kind of word does that sound like in English? It sounds like politics. It sounds like political. That's the word that he, that he used there. And Paul had other words that he could have used that just meant live or just conduct yourself or walk around and be like this. He had other words that he could use. But when he said polituo, it literally means be a citizen. It means perform the duties of a citizen. Okay? And Paul knows what he's doing here. 
he, because he's going to use that one, he's going to use that word just one other time in this letter to the Philippians. And some of you might guess what verse that is. It's, it's, it's in chapter 3. If you want to hold your place in chapter 1 and flip over to chapter 3, it's chapter 3, verse 20. This is the one other time he uses that, that word in this, um, this letter. And, he doesn't use, and Paul doesn't use this word very much in his letters at all. But if you're in chapter 3, if you notice, first of all, like in verse 17, he's talking about their manner of life, about their way of life and their manner of life. He says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk. That's just his, when he says on those who walk, that's his normal word that he would normally use. Walk according to the example you have in us. But then in chapter 3, when it comes to the higher principle that should influence how they live, how they walk, how they see their life here. He says in verse 20, but our citizenship, and that's the word he uses there, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that one verse there in chapter 3 reminds them, those Philippians, that they are not first and foremost Romans. Like they are citizens of a greater kingdom. And their king is not ultimately Caesar, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that, this is the kingdom that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Daniel said, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, for he is the living God, enduring forever and ever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. That's the kingdom he's talking about, that, the citizenship in that kingdom. And going back to chapter 1, when Paul uses that word, polituo, in verse 27, they would have immediately heard that word, in that word, a reminder that in Christ, they belong to his kingdom. He's not telling them to be good Roman citizens. He's telling them to be good gospel citizens, good Christ's kingdom citizens. That, uh, that kingdom that has dominion over the earthly kingdom they lived among. And Paul commands them to live worthily as worthy citizens of that kingdom now it's in the next point that paul's going to flesh out i think what he means by worthy but i want to make sure we take some time here to make clear what he does not mean when he says walk worthy of the gospel of christ Uh, as well why did paul choose that word polituo to begin with let me say something about about uh when paul says live worthy uh, of Christ's kingdom or, or the gospel of Christ. At first, when you hear that, it can sort of it, it might hit you in a, in a little bit of a disheartening way. I mean, I at least if I think about it, and I'll just say it autobiographically, if I think about it in a certain way, it can hit me that way because I can read that. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I may read that and think, how could I ever be worthy? How could I ever live in such a way that I am worthy of Christ's kingdom? I know myself. I know my sin. I know my struggles. I'm not worthy. And I don't know that I don't know if there's any way I could act to ever be worthy. I've already messed it up. But I think if we read it that way, if I read it that way, I'm not thinking about it in the way that Paul means it. How do I know that? Because the kingdom of Christ is not disconnected from the gospel of Christ. And, and how do we know that? Because Jesus said so. You might jot down Mark 1.15. Mark 1.15, Jesus came and he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What did he say? Do with that news. Repent and believe the gospel. 
Like that's how you get into the kingdom. And the gospel is for those who know they're unworthy. They, we know that we're unworthy. We know that, 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 that the gospel provides me the forgiveness that I need, the life that I desire through repentance and faith and the life, death, and resurrection of Christ who is my substitute. All right? Our worthiness in that sense in Christ's kingdom comes from Christ himself. Like it, I, can't, I can't get my act together enough to be worthy like that. Right? It comes from Christ himself. Our righteousness is his righteousness. Our worthiness is his worthiness. So Paul is going to flesh out what he does mean by worthy in the, in the verses that follow. But before we get to that, I want to reflect a little more on why Paul used such a politically charged word to begin with. You might remember, if you were here since the beginning, you might remember that in the introduction to this letter, I talked about how Philippi was a very Roman city. It was a very Roman city because it was where a lot of Roman military veterans went to live, okay, when they retired. It was designated as a city for veterans to go and live. And so it was a city very dedicated to Rome, Roman ways, Roman customs, Roman religion, which predominantly meant worshiping whoever was the emperor as a god. And certainly they were a polytheistic culture and worshipped other gods, but none higher or more than the Roman emperor. And the city's Philippi's allegiance to, to Rome and Roman culture caused problems for Paul and Silas. When they came through, as we said earlier, aside from being thrown into to, to, to prison by a mob who dragged them into the city center, and they were later beaten with rods, they were after that specifically asked, leave the city. We don't care where you go, but you can't be here. They let the, Get out of here because they preached the gospel. And, it, and the gospel that they preached ran contrary to what they believed as Romans, and it disrupted their way of life. They didn't like it. They jailed them. They beat them. You may leave now. Christians weren't welcome in Philippi. We don't want you here. Well, Paul and Silas did eventually leave, but those new believers who lived in Philippi had no such option. They had no such option. It's where they lived. And if they continued to live there and continued to bear witness to Christ according to Christ's command to them, they were going to need courage to do so. And the first courage God, uh, Paul gave them was to remind them they should not fear the Romans because they belonged to a greater kingdom. And they served a greater king. A king and a kingdom sovereign over the one that loomed large over them that they could see with their own eyes. That's why Scripture calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. It's easy to be threatened by the culture around you, but it's a comfort to know that you belong to a greater kingdom uh, and that you are watched over by and known to the king of kings. And Paul knew the Philippians would have been an intimidated bunch, and we can be too. And Paul wanted to remind them that whatever came into their lives as they walked faithfully with Christ, bearing witness to him, whatever happened to them is only going to be what the Lord granted to come into their life. That's the language he's going to use in verse 29. I think no doubt knowing that should have brought them comfort as it should us as we walk faithfully, faithfully with Christ even when it's hard. Paul's going to make clear in this passage, in the rest of the passage, that that, 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 is a, that itself is a comfort, but there's even more comfort to come because he's going to show that walking worthily 
means we walk together, and that's the other comfort that he gives them in this passage. So let's think about walking together. First, how do we know? How do we know? Because you just heard me say what, what, he, what he doesn't mean is uh, by worthy. And I'm about to say this is what he does mean. I don't want you to take my word for it. How do we know that he's gonna, what he says here is, is, is what he means by worthy in verse 27? Um, well, uh, if you look at verse 27 and you know, what continues after he says that, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, comma, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are dot, dot, dot. And stop right there for a second. If you just think about his train of thought there, he's just commanded them to walk worthy. And immediately he says, so that he might hear that they are, and whatever he says after that is going to be evidence to him that they are, in fact, walking worthy. Right? He wouldn't say walk worthy so that what I hear from you is that you're being something totally different. He's just going to say what worthy is in different language, right? And so what does he want to say he, what does he say he wants to hear? He's going to say he wants to hear four things from them. You might jot these down as we walk through them. He's going to, he's going to say, as you walk worthy, I want to hear that you are standing together. I want to hear that you are striving together, that you are strong together, and that you suffer together knowing that, that whatever they suffer in this life, the Lord, it's what the Lord is granting to them. Let's think about each of those quickly. For he's, first of all, says he wants to hear that they are, as they walk together, they're standing together. Look at verse 27. That I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now, the one reason, now one reason I'm emphasizing the, the together in this, in this bit, standing together, striving together, strong together, suffering together. Why all the togethers? Well, it's because all of the yous, Y-O-U's, all of the U's in this passage, if they had translated it into Southern English, are y'alls. That y'all, I may hear that y'all are standing firm in one spirit. Uh, and when Paul says uh, standing firm there, he's using a word that was often in a military context to talk of, of soldiers standing firm and, and, and together in formation, resolved in battle. And again, that would have been noteworthy to him because, again, one of, the, one of the reasons Philippi was such a staunchly Roman place is because military veterans who lived there, and, and I, I have to believe that perhaps some of the new believers that came uh, to Christ in Philippi came from those ranks, and the image that Paul gives is that they can walk as worthy citizens of Christ's kingdom when they stand firm together in one spirit, he says, in one spirit. And it's debated whether he means that they just get along or that they are united by the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced maybe both are view, in view. It's as they stand together in the Holy Spirit that they're going to be unified in every other way. What does it look like to stand or stand firm in the Holy Spirit? If that's what he's saying, I may hear that you are standing firm. If one spirit is the Holy Spirit, I want to hear that you're standing firm in the Holy Spirit. What does that even look like? The same way it looks like to walk in the Holy Spirit is, to, is how you stand. And what does it mean to walk in the Holy Spirit? It means you're walking full of His Word. Uh, the Holy Spirit works through His Word. 
These are the Holy Spirit's words, right? And as we fill our hearts and minds with his words, we're filling our hearts and minds with his voice. And, and, when, we, and when, we, when we are walking full of his word, committing, committed to standing in obedience to it, that's when the Holy Spirit knits us together through his word. And we stand firm, resolved to order our lives according to this word, right? Paul wants to hear that that's what they are doing. That's ground floor. But Paul says in addition to that, he wants to hear that they are striving together. That's more active. Um, I really didn't mean this to be a, 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 a so Greeky, but I'm just going to, just one, one more, he just, he, anyway. Uh, the word that Paul uses there when he says um, stand, striving side by side, the word is soon athleo, athleo. It's where we get athlete, athletics, right? And it means he wants, he wants to hear that they are athleting together, that they're competing together, right? And this has the idea of not just standing in a resolved soldier formation for the truth, but now let's march together. Let's strive together. Let's, 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 let's compete together in this race, right? And, and the imagery he gives here is, 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 that, is that of an athlete and of a team working together. And that when you start thinking in those ways, you start thinking of other things that Paul wrote to other churches and like maybe to the Corinthians where Paul said that, you know, that, that didn't use the team aspect, but he did use the body aspect. And we talked about the body, which goes along with the team. He talks about how we all have different roles. We have different gifts. We have different, um, different, different, yeah, different roles and gifts. And it's when we use those together that we march forward in the best way. We complement each other. Paul is urging them to, to work together and to strive together, to compete together in one mind. In one mind, he says, as they bear witness to Christ. It just means you're aimed in the same direction. It's not, not one group saying, I think we need to be about this. Another group says, I think we need to be about that. No, you're all on the same page, advancing the gospel of Christ. Those are two positive aspects of walking worthily. Standing together, striving together. And those two aspects, I believe, are very important for us to consider. Those two, those two things for the Philippians would have made them a very close group. Like it, it would have made them a very close group with each other, supportive of each other, and that's instructive for us too, especially college students as it pertains to our missional community groups, right? Parents, you should ask your kid also, after you ask them if they're going to fall retreat and why not, you should ask them, are you in a missional community group? Why not? And, and they know how to sign up for those too encourage them to do that. But those, for those uh, Philippians, it was, it, was, it was that around ministry together in a difficult place that their fellowship together as they stood together grew, grew deep and rich, far deeper and richer than if they didn't stand and strive in ministry at all together. And that's, that's the same truth, thing that's true for us in our missional community groups um, because it's, 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 it's as in those groups, A, that we're not walking alone, we're in a group, and B, uh, we, we, we are in ministry together. They're missional community groups, and in that, in that striving together, we, we find that community or we, we build that community. You might, you might think, Pastor Brian says very often, and I, I, I would repeat it like a broken record, you don't just find community. You don't just stumble upon community. You make it. 
you make community, right? If, if, you, if you've come here or you go to any church and you just walk in, you're not just going to go, wow, there's community here. It's not going to mean anything to you until you put your foot forward and, and live like Christ and love like Christ that you build that community there and you stand with each other, strive with each other in ministry. The Holy Spirit knits you together in those ways. And that's important too because Paul lists two more things that they will need to consider as they endure together, as they walk worthy, things that are going to require that strong community created by the first two things. The next uh, thing that Paul says, walking together worthily will mean, it means that they... they um, they need to be strong together. Look at verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. The more faithfully you stand together, the more faithfully you strive together for the gospel, you will face opposition of different kinds in which you'll need to be strong together. Paul actually gives a number of encouragements here. He reminds them as you... As you face opposition, remember, this, this, is work, this is all marching toward your salvation and that from God. And, and also, he says, all, any opposition that you make, that, just, that, that be a reminder that, that, um, that the, the gospel uh, is going gonna, is gonna to judge them in the end, right? He talks about your opponents, they are opponents now, but they will be judged in the end. This is a sign of their destruction. All of that is true, but Paul knows that no, even knowing all that, that doesn't always kill the fear in the meantime and, uh, and, or the intimidation. So he appeals uh, for unity among them to walk through this together. Um, we don't always face a ton of opposition like they did. Um, we, li- we just live in a place where it's, it's not always hard to be a Christian. Um, but when we do face opposition of any kind, it's usually in the context of when we're actually sharing the gospel with someone which is a reason why it's better when you go do that, maybe to do it with another person. Go together with them. Be strong together. And Paul finishes with the last sobering aspect of walking together, and that has to do with suffering together. He uses, that's his point in verses 29 and 30. He uses the language of suffering in verse 29 and conflict in verse 30. But in all these, Paul things Paul wants them to know that they will never face anything in this life for the sake of Christ that has not been granted to them by God. That's an amazing verse, actually, verse 29. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. What a gift. (laughs) It's been granted. Why would God grant things like opposition and suffering and conflict to us? Well, maybe let Paul answer it from what he said in 2 Corinthians 1. Maybe that is to make us in this life rely on God more than ourselves, right? So that we can know Christ's power proven strong in our weakness. Well, so walking worthily of Christ's kingdom is when we stand together, strive together, are strong together, and struggle together. But we endure all those things joyfully because we know we're part of a kingdom that endures forever under, good, under those good designs of a good and sovereign Lord.